Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are now entering a critical thinking zone. Thinking caps are required beyond this point. From deep behind enemy lines, deep in the heart of the Midwest, it's your host, Andrew Coppins. And it's time for Critical Thinking. Indeed, it is time for Critical Thinking. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Andrew Coppins. As that intro told you, he over there... If you're watching on our Rumble page, rumble.com backslash critical thinking, he is Pat Oni. You can be followed at the Pat Oni Show on all of your socials. I'm at the Coppin Show. And of course, do not forget if you are listening via podcast, make sure that you are subscribed, that you're downloading, that you're rating, that you're reviewing, whatever you can do on your favorite podcasting platform. Because the more that you engage in the show on those platforms, the more other people can find this show. And I don't think it's too much to ask, just a very simple click a five-star, four-star, one-star, whatever you want to rate us. We'd prefer the five-star variety, but of course, we want you to critically think and be honest about the show. And with that out of the way, Pat, it is a deep dive Thursday on the program. We're going to take a massive look into one topic. And then, of course, we're still going to play the B or not the B, and we'll have a little bit of fun. Um, but we want to take a look at a topic, and you had brought up an interesting set of questions to me yesterday that I think are worth taking not just a statistical, but a cultural, analytical look at. And uh, what were those two questions, Pat? Let's let's start there. What were the questions, and, and more importantly, where did this come from for you? So the, the questions had to do about marriage. Um, for me, it was the, uh, why are you, why aren't young people getting married anymore? And why aren't those that are staying married? Um, and where this came from is I was actually, it was a, a clip from uh, Steven Crowder the other day that, that actually got me thinking about this. And I'm like, well, the, one of the most important issues, if not the most important issue right now 
in 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 American society is our culture. And marriage speaks to our culture. Are we forming families? Are we getting married? Are we are we finding love? Are you know like like these things are pertinent to our culture. And as our culture continues to go downhill, it got me thinking, does this have anything to do with why young people aren't getting married and why people aren't staying married? Yeah, I think it's I think those are definitely things to to look into. But I want to take a a statistical analysis first so that we can understand what we're talking about here. So as we look at things, according to 2021 statistics, the average age at uh, which women are getting married is about 28, 29 years old. Okay. It's like right in the middle of the two. For men, the average age is 30. And that is an increase of nearly a decade over the past century. It, the, the article notes that in 1920, the average woman got married at 21.2 years old, while men married at 24.6. Now, men have historically gotten married later than women. The age gap between them is actually closing. As we noted, right? 30 to 28 versus 21 to 24. That, that's, a, that's a year, almost a year and a half difference between the two. Now, only 29% of Americans that are aged 18 to 34 were married as of 2018. Again, 29% of those 18 to 20 or 18 to 34 compared that to 59% of them in 1978. The number of people choosing to live together without being married is actually on the rise as well, Pat. So this kind of also gives us some ammunition, if you will, to, to the, the question, right? Why are not people getting married at a younger age? In 2018, 15% of adults that were 25 to 34 lived with an unmarried partner. That is up 3% from the 2008 number, which was 12%. And in 1978, that number was around 5%. So men and women are not necessarily in a rush to, to get married. That's what that stat is telling us, right? Um, now... You have mentioned culture. I w believe partly that that is probably a large, large part of what is going on. Um, and, and here's 95% of my theory. And I'm going to lay this out because it's very okay. clear that the numbers tell us, right, that we are waiting longer and longer to be married. And we spoke of culture. And here's my theory, Pat. Most people are waiting longer and longer to get married because grandma and grandpa and mom and dad have sold us a fantasy about life. And this has been going on since I was a kid. Look at the average age or the average number of people in 1990 who were getting a college degree, okay? Mm. Look at it by the year 2000. Now fast forward to the year 2022. I don't have those numbers directly in front of me, but I guarantee you they were astronomically different between 1990 and even 2000. 
And I, I think it goes back to even this. Um, we've been told that there's this panacea, the, this checklist, right? That you must jump, well, that you must check that box, right? You get a college degree, check. Make $100,000, check. Um, save up to buy a house, check. Then get married, check. Save up another $100,000, then have a kid, check, right? When sold that, that you have to jump over these specific markers or benchmarks in order to be quote unquote successful or to be able to be set up to be a parent or to to be a spouse, right? And it's all started with the lie that is you cannot be a success in life without going to college. It all starts with the lie that there's one specific path towards marriage, towards towards love, towards having a family. And part and parcel of this is the focus that was teenage pregnancy. When I was in high school, Pat, there was no bigger topic than that. And so we look at this from the perspective, and I'm not saying teenage pregnancy is a good thing. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that we conditioned an entire generation of people to believe that there's only one pathway to a successful life. And what does that pathway look like, right? It looks like college. It looks like all of these things. We've sold this panacea in that until you reach all of these benchmarks, you shouldn't do X, Y, Z. We have culturally turned marriage away from a God-centered, God-based, faithful execution of a duty to God, in my viewpoint. We have turned it away from that into something that is purely secular, that is purely about finances, that is purely about how does my life fit with somebody else. It has nothing to do with love, respect for God. It has nothing to do with centering your life on something greater than yourselves. It goes back to this generation, this church of me. This is set up by a culture that, again, I can't emphasize this enough, was set up by a culture that told our generation that you can't have any struggles in life. Everything must come with ease, right? And, and unless that ease or unless that security or safety is there, you shouldn't take the leap. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. You know, it, you have to set yourself into that pathway of success. What most people my age found out is that success isn't guaranteed by a piece of paper that you get on, on your graduation day from that four-year institution. That happiness isn't guaranteed by that. That fulfillment isn't guaranteed by simply checking all of the boxes that, you know, society and the culture and parents and grandparents told you. 
we see unhappiness, Pat, in in suicidality and depression and all of these things continue to rise and rise and rise. So for me, I look at this from the perspective of prior to the 70s, right? Prior to even the counterculture of the 60s, if you will. I think you could go all the way back there. What was the ideal image in our culture? You go to school, you find a job, you settle down, you get married, and you have kids. That was the cultural expectation of the time. Was that a guarantee of success? Of course not. Because here's the rub. Nothing is a guarantee of success in life. That's the reality. That's the truth. That's the critical thinking. So as I take a look at this question, I look at this from a perspective that it's 95% the fantasy world that we have set up in our own minds thanks to a culture that believes that struggle is and sacrifice isn't a virtue, it's a vice. It's bad. You know, th- there's a book um, that Bob Chapman, um, the CEO, the president of Barry Waymiller, has put out, and it's Everybody Matters. And in that book, there's a story of a man who got laid off multiple times in the 1980s, early 80s. There's a story about a man who would go pick up cans at the local sporting arena and turn them in. There's a story of a man who also had a baby and a new wife. That story is my dad. The story that's told in the foreword of that that book is my dad. And my dad listens to this program. And I'm okay telling this story because it's public. It's in a book. Guess what? My dad struggled. My mom struggled. I never knew that story. Until I was in my late teens, early 20s. Because by the time that I was old enough to understand what my parents could or couldn't provide me, I didn't really want for much. The point that I'm trying to make here is that just because there are current struggles doesn't mean that's representative of future failure. And that's what we have set up as a society is that if you struggle, if you if you are not immediately successful, that immediate gratification, that church of me, right? I'm going to gratify me. I'm glorifying me by using God and Jesus's words to make sure that my life is gratified. It is an absolute perversion of how your relationship with God should work. You are there to satisfy God and to satisfy the teachings of Jesus Christ. The point is that current struggle doesn't mean 
future failure. Now, if you continue and you don't change or you don't learn or you or you wallow, what happens? That's the failure. Learn nothing from struggle and you will fail. But we have a society that says you, that you, you know, you have to get married. You have to do that, that, that you can't get married unless you've got this duck in a row, this duck in a row, this duck in a row, that duck in a row. And then, by the way, you better reset all those ducks and then have your children. Guess what? We're entering a time pad in which we just heard, um, saw this stat this morning, right? 2.6 million or so weddings in the United States of America this year, a record according to the knot. Correct? Correct. Okay. So, okay, a record-setting wedding year. Well, statistically speaking, it doesn't mean much because we depressed it over the past two years, right? The pandemic mm -hmm. depressed a lot of people from actually tying the knot or or putting their ceremony off or putting their celebration off. Um, who says you couldn't get married before God, right? Who says that you had to do a party? You had, to, you know what I'm saying? Culture says X, Y, Z. Expectation is you throw a party. Expectation is this, is this, is this. Spend fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars on a wedding. Did I do that? To a, to an extent, yes. But I was also older, and part of my struggle in life were were things that that I created. But also, I was not ready spiritually, physically, emotionally to get married. And when I was, I did. I've become a better person because of my marriage. I've become a better um, a better provider, a better leader, a better everything in my life because of my marriage. Now, I said 95%, right, Pat? Right. Okay. The other 5% of this, Pat, for me, is... The reality of life. And what I mean by that is that in the 1920s, in, in 1900, okay, um, uh, one in 40 Americans were dead every year. One in 40. Today, by about uh, 2013, I I don't know what the number is because it might be skewed a little bit by the COVID era, but it was about one in 140, okay, pre-pandemic. But over the same period of time, Pat, life expectancy went from 47 to 79 so the change in life in general, my life is much longer than it would have been 50, 60 years ago, right? Right. If, I, if I'm going from the average age of not even being 50, if I got married at 25, I got married halfway through my life, right? If, if I right. were a dude and, and the average age being 24, I'm almost halfway through my life and I just got married. Now, my parents got married much younger than that, 
and they got married in in 1979 um at the age of i believe 21 that's not that was not uncommon you know my mom finished nursing school started her career my dad was doing what he was doing and um you know figuring out his path and and today an, an absolutely incredible journey to being an educator without a college degree by the way no college degree worked his way from sweeping floors to educating multi-billion dollar companies and the United States Air Force and all sorts of other individuals. It's an incredible American story. It absolutely is. But I want you to think about this, Pat. Right? So today, I should just be getting married. If we're going by the expectation and the statistical side of that, that expectation in the 1900 to 1970s, right, era, I, I actually got married way ahead of time. Now, there's also the biological realities in front of us, right, that we know that by the time you're entering your 40s, the increased chances of you having issues in a pregnancy are there. That's not the case for everybody. But statistically speaking, it does increase. And we also do have a biological clock inside of us. Is that biological clock extending? I don't know that answer. I haven't done that research. My, my hunch is that we're slowly inching that up. We also have medical interventions and interventionism that is helping in some of those things. We also better understand how to take care of our bodies in a pregnancy or, or keeping our bodies more in the, that fertility area, if you will, right? We, we better understand that. So that 5% for me is the reality that we are living longer lives. So if we're living longer lives, getting married at 21, 25, 30, 35, 35 is still young comparative, statistically speaking, to when we were talking about in the 1970s, 60s, and 50s. Still young. It would be like getting married at 21. We have a ton of life yet to live. And maybe it's on us to shift our, our thought processes because we have seen our grandparents and our parents and their stories and heard their stories, right? And understand when they got married and that expectation of them. And that's what we're supposed to, to believe, right? But it's that plus for me the, the cultural pressure to have that perfect life before you make these other steps. I hate to break it to you, by and large, we're all going to fail, we're all going to succeed, we're all going to struggle. Getting married. I'm failing how to see how that is the last hurdle to success. Getting married, for me, it's likely one of the greatest indicators of future success. 
or chance at future success. Because you have somebody to lift you up in the downtime, somebody to push you, somebody to celebrate your success. You have somebody right there by your side. And we have we have been sold this fantasy that there's this perfect person, right? And until you seek that perfect person out and you find that perfect person, there's no such thing as perfect person. There are people that, for me, that I believe in a soulmate, right? The key question, or the key part there is soul, right? I believe that the perfect person is somebody who lifts you up, picks you up, and walks side by side with you in that journey with God. That's my view on, on marriage. We as a society do not subscribe to that. So again, 95% of this is culture. 5% is a a life expectancy reality for me, right? That's where I come down with this. Um, what say you, Pat? Because I've spoke quite a bit. Yeah, you uh, you raised a lot of interesting points. Much of it, if not all of it, I agree with. Um, it, you you echo a lot of the same thoughts that I have. I got married at twenty six, going on twenty seven. Mm-hmm. Um, my my wife is five months younger than me. Okay. Um, when we got married, I was working at a very different company than I'm at now. Um, same, same, um, niche and stuff like that in digital marketing and whatnot. And I was making 13 bucks an hour. My wife was salary. My wife was, was the moneymaker of the two of us. We did not make much money between the two. We didn't. We, we we were not where we are today. Let's put it that way. And that was seven years ago. We just celebrated our seventh wedding anniversary. Um, my point is, and why I bring this up is, you're right. A lot of a lot of people that I know want to have a solidified career, want to be able to provide. And I get, I get from a man's perspective. I get it. I get wanting to be able to provide for your family. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Probably more than most. It's a primal instinct. Right. And uh, so I, I totally understand where where that's coming from. And I understand what it feels. I mean, for me, it was kind of emasculating um, to, to marry someone that was making a lot more money than I was. And her salary at the time was not that much. Uh, and so I, I get it, but what I, what I'm trying to get to here is you cannot be afraid to be poor and married. You cannot be afraid to be the kind of people that scrimp and save and work up to that level you want to be in life. You can't be afraid of that. And if you do this right if you do it right and you make decisions together, you talk through things, you you work through the fi- the financial, you work through the the physical, the mental, the spiritual, and you do it together, 
and you do it right, it brings you closer together. These things should not be a deterrent from getting married. These should be a reason to get married. Yeah, I think I a remember, great example of this, Pat, is the is the Ben Shapiro, right? Right. Three, three keys to success. Graduate high school. Right. Get married, have kids. Yeah, literally. Don't do the now, three in backwards order. Right. We we are. I I, I it, this this whole thing has made me think about a roommate that I had before I got married. And this roommate, I mean, he had some very unrealistic expectations about marriage, first of all. Um, he was older. Um, and, and to this day, I don't believe he is married still. Um, and, I mean, he wanted eight kids. And I'm like, that's going to be hard to find in today's society. So, a partner that's going to want that many kids. Um, and the thing is, is like, like he want, he had that perfect expectation of the perfect girl and I'm like, they don't exist. I'm like, and I tried to tell him one time, forget everything you think you, you know about relationships and about marriage. You start forgetting about those things. Things start happening. I'm like, whatever you think, you know, you don't know. And because I used to think that I knew a lot and then I got married and I realized I knew nothing. Once, once those, once I was able to get to that point, my life completely changed and I was able to be more comfortable with letting things happen and taking that leap of faith. Because really when you get married, you are taking a leap of faith. You are taking a leap of faith on that other person and on yourself. You are taking a leap of faith that we are going to be able to address hard times and be able to get through those hard times. Nobody is immune from going through hard times. You, just because you have a career, just because you, you have a salary, just because you have a house right now does not mean that you are going to go through hard times. Mm -hmm. It does not mean that you are not going to struggle, whether that's physically, mentally, spiritually, financially. All of those things, I'm sorry, are going to happen regardless of what position you're in. And, you know, there are, there are disagreements in marriages. There are disagreements in relationships. It's being able to work through those things. And I think looking at today's culture, it is a culture of me, as you say, right? It is, about, it is the church of me. It is about me. No, when you get married, it is not about you anymore it's about us exactly finding that balance right you might do right. things that you otherwise wouldn't necessarily want to physically do for yourself because it 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 makes your partner happy and and a great example of this right lexi and i uh, my wife and i you know we we're both very busy with life right we're very very busy with work and the things that we've got going on. So how do we find a new way to connect and do things? She took up something that I like as a hobby. She took up golf. So now once in a while, we get out on the golf course together and just enjoy a couple hours together, cheering each other on, even if we're not ha having a successful round. Um, it's us outside, 
enjoying something that we both like. And I didn't ever ask her to take it up. I never expected that. But it's another way for us to connect. And it's about finding those things, finding those balances. But I, you know, I think one thing that we haven't talked about yet is divorce. Because we're both products of divorce, right? Yeah. And so we've both experienced what it is like to to be a child of of divorce. Now, you're you much younger than me. Um, I did I found that out the the weekend I came home to uh for my 21st birthday. Um and you found that out much, much younger in life. I was 11. Right. So, you know, 10 years apart, right? But also a world apart in terms of, of physical, spiritual, mental maturity. You know, uh, two very different sides of life. Why are people getting divorced younger? Well, I think you have to talk today about COVID. And I think what that did is it shined a light for a lot of people. It's shown a light for a lot of people on exactly how people handle stress, how people deal with um, adversity, how people um, really react in unprecedented situations. I know people who've gotten divorced simply because of not just differing views on COVID and, and whatnot, but on differing on how they're going to handle it or what is their risk tolerance. And I think it's interesting because for Lexi and I, one of the things that we are very different on is I am much more risk tolerant. She is much more risk adverse in life. But we know that and we explored that prior to being married, right? We sat down and talked about it. Okay, can I be the one that shoulders more risk and can you be the one that shoulders less of it? There's your balance, right? And then we discuss right. things prior to engaging in them, right? But according to this article on hernorm.com, I have no idea what the hell this place is. It just was on Google. But about 50% of all marriages this year are going to end in divorce. Now, second and third marriages, between 60 and 73% of them will fail. The divorce rate, though, has dropped from five out of uh, the divorce rate for every 10 out of a thousand people in the population. Okay. The crude divorce rate has dropped from five to 2.9 from 1990 to 2022. So, okay. So the divorce rate, okay. But the marriage rate also has halved in the last 30 years 10 for a, a hundred thousand of the population choosing to tie the knot in 1990 versus only five of them. United States is only sixth in the world, though, in divorce. The UK is one of the highest divorce rates in the world. Um, why that high? I'm going to go back to culture. And one of the harshest realities of what happened with my parents is that you know, there's, there's there's that empty nest moment and, and this this moment of, okay, who are we as adults, right? Because we spent the last 18, 20 years with kids and that's a different dynamic, right? Who are we now as adults? A lot of people just give up. 
something's different. Something's difficult and they just give up. Or I don't, or we've never had that discussion about what we want potentially our lives to look like after having kids. That's a discussion you should have in a marriage prior to having kids. Hey, what do we want to accomplish afterwards? What do we want our life to look like? Do we want to to downsize and move to Florida? Or you know what I mean? Like, what are we looking at here? And and get on the same page. Instead, what we have is that culture of me. Suddenly, it's all about me. I don't have any responsibility from my kids necessarily. Um, you know, lots of parents still are responsible. And some of them are still housing the kids 20, you know, 10, 15 years later, whatever. Uh, but my point being is that your life changes, right? All of a sudden, you know, you don't have the the day-to-day -day responsibility of that child. Or in our case, Pat, right? Neither of us have children and suddenly, hey, um, I want to change something, right? Or do something different or we're stagnant and we just kind of do the same day-to-day -day thing. It's a culture that says everything should come easy. It's the same thing as what we have been sold when it comes to getting married, right? That everything should just come easy. That everything should come in a checkbox, right? Check the box, check the box, check the box. And then great, grand, wonderful, you're set up for life. Reality is a lot of people don't want to put the hard work in. They don't want to have difficult discussions. They don't want to. They, they think that if you have an argument one night, it's done. Guess what? You know what I mean? Like, or, or you have a difficult conversation that might take months for you to solve. That suddenly it's done. I have found that there are very few reasons to actually get divorced. And, and by, and I mean good reasons to get divorced. Um, and it was something that I was scared of because when I got married, I'm like, am I going to end up like my parents, you mm -hmm. know, getting divorced at some point in my life? Right. And I was going to mention that. That's a really good point, Pat. Can you speak yeah. on that? Because, because I think that's a real fear for people in my generation and yours. Because I think we're mm. kind of on the cusp of two different generations. Uh, right. We're close to being in the same mm. one. Like, I think you're right on that edge, right? Right. Um, so for me, I mean, you know, like I said, my parents divorced when I was 11. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad remarried very fast. My, my mom took a few more years to get remarried. Um, they're both remarried to the same people today. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, it's like, like, I don't want to repeat the mistakes of my parents. I don't want to put my kids through what I went through. And I have found truly um, since being married, since and having gone through divorce, one, you don't get married to get divorced. You go in with that mentality. It, It'll happen it's, to it's you. A much easier, it's a much easier thing to avoid if you go into, I'm not getting married to get divorced. I'm getting married to stay married. Yeah, that, it, the, that was something that, you know, when, when I got married, that we, we thoroughly, that, that word doesn't enter our vocabulary when we're no. talking to each other. It doesn't, no, no, even it, if we're having the worst of the worst moments. Exactly. And, and that, that's where my wife, like we've had some, some arguments and disagreements over things, but that word has never come up ever. Yep. Um, and, and I, and I refuse to bring something like, that. I mean, short of anything, pretty much short of like cheating, 
um, I found that there, there really is not a great. There are things that you can work through. Yeah, I would say it anything, might take time. Anything short of physical or emotional abuse. Um, that too. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And and that sort of stuff. Mm. You know, for me, even the cheating thing. Mm. Um, yes, that's a breaking of the covenant, right? That's a breaking of those things. But can that be worked through? Can that be something that potentially? It just depends. Potentially. It just really mm-hmm. depends on the person. But yeah, I agree right. to your point. Like there are very few things if you actually have that 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 God-centered covenant that is a marriage, right? Why is a right. marriage a marriage and why is there a civil union? They are right. two very different things. A marriage mm-hmm. is in existence in a covenant between you, your wife, and God. Right. And no, let no one take that asunder, right? Right. So for me, I mean, that's how I entered my marriage, and it, that's not a word that comes up. Um, because and and really, I I didn't want to go through it. I don't want to put my kids through it. Um, I certainly don't want to put my wife through it. My my wife's parents almost went through it um, a few years before we got married, mm-hmm. um, but they worked through it. I mean, it, the thing is, is like you have to be willing to work through things. You can't just say, "Oh," and, and the way I the way I also see it too is, if you ain't fighting, you ain't trying. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's okay to fight with each other from time to time. Um, it, it's okay to have some hard discussions from time to time. It, it, it's worth having if you love each other. There is a fine line between love and hate. When it becomes hate is when you let resentment set in and you can't work through the anger. Mm-hmm. If you can work through mm-hmm. the anger, it, it's still love. 1000% agree with you there. It's, you you can still as long as you can work through it together. It and it also should bring you closer together. If, if you're allowing those things to happen it makes your marriage stronger. Mm-hmm. 100%. So, so I I think when we talk about divorce, I think it's it's people's fear, it's people's mm-hmm. um projection of past experience, um mm-hmm. maybe in their own families, right? Or whatever. It's a lot of that that perpetuates itself because they didn't see or have a model of success in their in, well, in a marriage, right? Or right. or a model of people who. There, there's I'm, a lot. I'm of- hesitant to say this, uh, the way that I want or the way that I was going to, because I don't want to offend people. But here's the reality: a lot of people just give up. Right. Oh no, my partner wants a more active lifestyle than I do. Okay. Or or my partner would like to invest our our money to grow our wealth and I'm more risk adverse or um whatever have you, right? I I mean did you try? Did like you, it's okay to have a disagreement. It's okay to, it is okay to not be a, like you, it's okay to let somebody have something for themselves too, right? It is okay. Mm-hmm. So for instance, if that person is more risk adverse, could you give, could you say, okay, well, um, we're going to, I'll allow you to do this, but I want no part of it because it's going to stress me out or I don't want a part of that because I don't believe that being risk adverse is a smart move right now, right? Can, can, can you right. allow somebody to shoulder their own burden 
and then be there to help them or mm. celebrate them. Yes. Yes, you can. It is perfectly okay. Now, and it's also perfectly okay to completely switch positions from time to time to where you are the more, more risk adverse and, and your partner is the more yep. or of the risk taker. Absolutely. Right. So there, there are moments where you can, you can swap positions within that, within your marriage and, if, and be okay it, with that. And I don't even want to go down the route of, you know, we, we've, you know, been changing the definition of marriage, both. I'll just say this. I think the the involvement of government in marriage has also been a contributing factor to all of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's from a tax right. perspective, from mm -hmm. a licensure perspective, from taking this away from being a wholly God-centered act into a whole nother realm, into pretending that something that isn't God-centered can actually be called a marriage husband and wife. No. Those words have biblical meaning. They have they have a real definition to them. And just like you tried to change the definition of vaccine, you cannot pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. Not going to work. Now, speaking of which, how about we play a little bit of uh, the B or not the B here? All righty. And with that, I have today's headline. The good news is your ancestors survived the bubonic plague. The bad news is they may have left you vulnerable to other diseases. The good news is your ancestors survived the bubonic plague. The bad news is they may have left you vulnerable to other diseases. And while you're thinking of that uh, answer as to whether or not that is the bee or not the bee, um, please, folks, go over to coffeebrandcoffee.com. Again, that's coffeebrandcoffee.com. Um, get yourself stocked up. For the winter months here, they've got some really cool teas. They've got really great um, hot chocolate that I can't wait for Pat to tell me uh, whether or not he likes his. Um, I'm I'm gonna order some in a little in a little while here. I'm just waiting for a couple of uh, transactions to close before I uh, put some more money into that stuff. And then of course their regular coffee. They've got unflavored coffee, whole beans. Now the cool part about Coffee Brand Coffee Pat is that all of their stuff is small batch. It is not like it's just mass produced and then they just take a bean out, you know, take the beans out and put them into a, nope, most of the time it's roasted and then just put right into your bag. It is about as fresh roasted as you could possibly get. Um, you know, they they do these in single bags and um, and that's how they get it done. So coffeebrandcoffee.com, enter the promo code critical thinking at checkout for 5% off of your purchase today. I cannot emphasize this enough. If you want your politics, you just like coffee and you don't want left or right politics shoved down your throat. This is your brand for you. Small batch, really great, fresh roasted coffee. I can tell you right now, the smell of the salted caramel coffee as it's being uh, brewed is so good. Go to coffeebrandcoffee.com, enter the promo code critical thinking at checkout. Again, coffeebrandcoffee.com, promo code critical thinking. Do you need the headline one more time? One more time. The good news is your ancestors survived the bubonic plague. The bad news is they may have left you vulnerable to other diseases. The way it reads feels like not to be to me. 
though I, I don't sure? see how I don't see how surviving the bubonic plague leaves you vulnerable to other diseases. I, I don't. I, I I'm not I'm not really sure how that works. I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just saying there there are there, there's an element that seems Babylon B esque about it. But I'm I'm going to stick with not to be. Good instinct. You are correct. We have just won a hundred dollars of Dominic Izzo's totally legit money. <clears throat> if your forefathers somehow managed to avoid getting snookered by the Black Death back in the Middle Ages, uh, well, that was good, but otherwise uh, you wouldn't be here, right? Uh, but the downside is that you may have some upcoming health trials, and you should at least be aware of it. <laughs> what, you might say? Well, <clears throat> uh, according to CNN, the Black Death, the world's most devastatingly uh, devastating plague outbreak, killed half of medi medieval Europe's population in the space of seven years in the 14th century. We all know that. Shifting the course of human history. You are correct. But what about the survivors of what remains the single greatest mortality event ever recorded? New research published Wednesday in the journal Nature. Now, Nature we have used um, for a lot of stuff when it came to COVID. Um, but... It suggests that it was much more than luck that determined who lived and who died. Analysis of centuries-old DNA from both victims and survivors of the Black Death has identified key genetic differences that helped people survive the plague, according to a study published in the journal Nature. Now, um, they, they, they just told you that in the previous paragraph because CNN is really smart and needs to tell you that it was published in the journal Nature twice, in two paragraphs, by the way. But these genetic differences continue to shape human immune systems today with genes that once coffered protection against the plague now linked to a greater vulnerability to autoimmune diseases such as Crohn's and rheumatoid arthritis. Um, you might be tempted to respond to this by claiming that's not fair, but it is worth pointing out that the Black Death had a fatality rate of upwards of 60%, while those other diseases, not exactly a picnic, well, um... Uh, just a skosh less dangerous than that, <laughs> as they point out. So, for every reaction, there's an opposite and equal reaction, right? Yeah. So, on the one hand, you survived the bubonic plague. On the other hand, <laughs> your ancestors are getting Crohn's disease. Huh. Awesome. Sweet. The Irish man, Pat, the Irish just screwed. Bubonic plague, p potato famine. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. How many of us, how many of us are now autoimmune vulnerable? A lot. A lot. Is it any wonder? We now know the, the reason for it. It was fated by God. <laughs> or Gee, genetics thanks. or whatever. Gee, thanks. Uh, right? Now, um, with that being said, Pat, um, I, I, I have another um, story that we should talk about. Because one of the things that happened over the weekend is that uh, they opened the portal for student debt uh, loan relief, right? Up to $20,000, right? And mm -hmm. I've got student debt. Like I said, I'm not, not going to take advantage of, hey, sweet. My taxpayer dollars that I've already paid in are now going to pay me back. That's fantastic, right? I'm going to I'm going to take advantage of that. If it's there and available. You'd be stupid not to. I still want my $20,000. I don't disagree. You should get your $20,000 yeah. check from the government for paying you for being a responsible adult. But 
this has been like the high, the second biggest highlighted issue for the Democratic Party, right? Abortion, this, and Green New Deal, right? Sustainable economy. Well, um, a new survey released by Data for Progress um, could spell trouble for Democrats hoping for gains in November following Biden's debt relief plan. You see, recent polling suggests that Democrats may not be getting the boost from young voters they were hoping for this November following the announcement of President Biden's sweeping student loan debt forgiveness plan. According to data released on Monday by progressive polling group Data for Progress, as if you didn't already know that Data for Progress was going to be a progressive group, right? Um, right. Americans aged tw- 18 to 29 rank student loan debt relief fairly low on their list of policy priorities for the congressional candidates. Guess guess how low? Guess what the percentage is that um, rank the subject among their top three issues? 10%. Eight. You were so close. Eight percent. Only 8% of young people rank the subject among their top three issues of concern. <laughs> it's just wow. nuts. 65% of those surveyed expressed approval of Biden's student loan debt forgiveness plan, even though only 49% of respondents reported having or expecting to have student loan debt at some point in their lives. So again, this is just this call and response, right? Well, this seems like a good idea, but let, let's let's bring this out, right? Now, the survey of young people, Data for Progress, asked participants to select three policy issues out of a pool of 16 to rank as their most important issues. While student debt relief is a popular policy, it was was also one of the least popular concerns, right? 8%, right? In contrast, economic issues took the top spots among survey respondents. Inflation, abortion rights, and jobs in the economy were the most popular issues cited as top priorities for congressional candidates, with each subject percent and in over 30% of the respondents' lists. Now, here's the problem, though. What do we also know about this young group of voters, right? They're historically speaking and actually speaking, one of the least likely to actually vote, right? To to go out there and do anything when it comes to voting. So congratulations. Uh, We're going to play to that 18 to 29 crowd on the abortion rights, except for everybody else doesn't give a crap, right? Like This is the thing they keep running on. And in fact, here in Illinois, Pat, you got to laugh at this. And I think you might have seen this headline, but there is a conservative black woman running for uh, Congress here in the Chicagoland area, right? And there, she's running against a far left Democrat, okay? The majority pack, so the 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 pack that supports the the um, congressional majority, right? Okay, mm. the Democrats. Right. Is attacking a black woman for being conservative. Get Wait, back on what? the get up get back on the plantation or else. Yeah. She's far extreme because she's pro life. What? I thought it's attacking insane, a black person. It was is racist. absolutely insane what is going on. Um mm. it's offensive, really. Like, how dare a black woman think differently? I guess it's not that her policies or whatever that. are extreme. The, the ne- next to her, MAGA extremist on the screen. It's mm-hmm. uh, you can oh only be black God. and Democrat, apparently. Hmm? You can only be black and Democrat, apparently, or, or black and leftist leaning, apparently. Right, because that because you know all people of all different races think alike. 
It's insane. Right. The, the, the way that it was presented is, how dare she think this way? What? What? Like, it was absolutely maddening. It, it is the group that says black women are independent, right? Independence, and we celebrate the independence, except for when you think differently than we thought you should. How dare you? How dare you? And with that, Pat, your final thoughts on today's show. Don't get lost. Remember who you are. No means no. When Pat needs his $20,000 because his sugar mama doesn't make enough. Please be smart, be safe, be kind. And uh, Mrs. Pat, I think you owe Pat some Sammies. As always, <laughs> Matthew 547. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.